Hello and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with artists, labels and promoters that are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Aaron Coultate and I'm the news editor at Resonant Advisor. Joachim is known as a man of many talents, the kind of person who seems at home performing live on stage, DJing or producing bands in the studio. The Frenchman's production history dates back to the early 2000s with several EPs and albums on Parisian label Versatile Records. He launched his own Tiger Sushi label in 2002 and began putting out an array of new and reissued music from the likes of Cluster, Morris Fulton and Metro Area. His eclectic taste struck a chord with adventurous DJs and he soon developed a close relationship with the likes of Ivan Schmarg and Optimo. We caught up before a recent gig in Berlin to discuss his latest collaborations, an impending move to New York and his love of gastronomy. We started our conversation with his new label project, Crowdspacer, a vinyl-only affair with a focus on club-friendly music. You've just started your new label, Crowdspacer. Tell me the story behind that. Well, um, it's pretty simple. Um, well, I, I, I basically, how can I start? It's simple, but it's complicated. Um, I, it's been a long time. I wanted to have like uh, more like club music playground because somehow when I make uh, albums it's never really dancey stuff I don't know why but it always end up being not dancey or not that much and uh, and then when I make remixes it, it's something I really make for the, the clubs and uh, so I was a bit frustrated because I, I, I've got all those ideas of, I have literally like pages of notes about tracks I want to make with ideas about club things and, and in general and also uh, I was a bit tired of the distribution process with Tiger Sushi and uh, I wanted to start, start something fresh from scratch um, so both things coincided and and, uh, and I had this track uh, I made with uh, Kindness and, Jan- and Vincent L track uh, some time ago like one year ago and so it made sense to start with this track because we didn't really know what to do with it. And that's it. And how did you first come into contact with, with Adam, with Kindness? Well, I emailed him a few years ago when I, when I heard uh, his Swinging Party uh, cover. But he never replied. And then he came to Paris to record his album with uh, Philippe Da. And kind of out of the blue, he came to the office and said, oh, hello. Uh, and so we, we, we met like that. And, uh, and then we hanged out more and more. He spent, he spent some time at, at my place uh, 
when he needed to crash and uh, and we talked a lot about food and we went to a lot of restaurants and then one day we were just playing in the studio and and it, it, it became a track like in the f just maybe two hours or three hours it was really really spontaneous and quick and will Crowdspacer be something that you put out solo material on or will it be will, can no we it's, more it's really open like the next next releases will be uh, there's will be one with another collaboration i did um, i'm making now and uh but also then then there will be other stuff i guess uh from other people and i'm also planning on uh on some edits it's it's pretty open but the only thing that is clear about it it's it should be music that you can play and really really good dance music <laughs> and i was interested to see that it's going to be a vinyl only label why did you decide to do that because uh it's more fun and it's simpler uh not really simpler but it's more fun i would say and there's this whole like thing about vinyl labels at the moment that is really entertaining and and i think exciting you know on a as a buyer, as a collector, and also as a label manager. So, yeah. And you still buy records yourself? Is that something that you know, you're know you still passionate about? Yeah, yeah, I do. I spend so much time ripping them because I, I'm not touring with vinyls, but uh, I buy and I rip them. And I, I read that when you started DJing, it was more out of necessity than pleasure. You weren't really into DJing in, in your earlier years. Is, is that something that's changed over time? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's like most people who produce music, they have to DJ at some point, um, when, especially when you don't perform live. Uh, so I had to do something when I released my first record. I already uh, collected a lot of records. So that made sense, but uh, I don't think I was really good. I enjoyed it uh, from the beginning because I like to share like my my collection. But I think I was not so good because I had this, uh, you know, the the, the typical uh, collector DJ who wants to play his best tunes and doesn't really uh, interact with the crowd. Or you know, within a few years, I think I learned a lot. And, and, and I'm enjoying it more because now I know what, what I'm doing. Was it just from learning as, as you go or were there other DJs that you noticed that you, you learned from? Um, it's a bit of both, I would say. Obviously, like being around people like Optimo and Ivan Smag and, and Gilbert and Acube. I think Gilbert was a big influence on DJing for me uh, from Versata. He's a very, very good DJ. And uh, I don't know, I remember when I saw Harvey, I was like, oh, this is amazing. And uh, like, but long time ago. Um, yeah, but it's also like doing it. You you understand what's, what, how you can interact with the people. And, and also uh, I didn't, when I started, I, I was not a club kid at all. Um, I'm, I'm still not a club kid, but um, but now I think I understand that culture more better than I used to. 
And what does a Joachim DJ set sound like these days? Uh, it's always a bit different. So um, I, li- I like to improvise. So I would say it's always a mix of different styles, always. I've never played any set that was only this or that. There's always some bits of disco and always some house. I can say that. Uh, now, um, these days, I I enjoy a lot of like more like ghetto stuff. And um, I think there's a good comeback of good techno. That yeah. I, that I like, yeah. In, in, any artists or labels in particular? Well, it's pretty... I think it's a broad revival because you have people like uh, Bodica and Joy Orbison doing new kind of techno, but from that post, post whatever thing. And then you have people uh, like Lies doing techno, but in a more like old school and dirty way. And everything in between. In between. And in terms of talking about your, your DJ sets, you as a person um, seem to have a really broad range of musical influences. You know, in the past, you've professed uh, a love for blues, pop, post-punk, and and you know many strains of electronic music. Mm-hmm. Going back a bit, where did it all begin for you musically? Mm. Well, if I go really far in the beginning, it's, it would be classical music because that's where I started. Um, but I can't really mix classical music with other things. I mean, it's a it's a different case in my brain, uh, different folder. <laughs> so I think I started just listening uh, to uh, basic uh, pop music when I was a teenager, but pretty late. Um, yeah, pop music and, and like rock and roll, like Led Zeppelin or whatever. Uh, and then I became more interested in like more indie stuff and especially American indie, like Pavement and uh, Sonic Youth and that, that sort of, of 90s, st- early 90s. I used to, uh, to, to listen to the radio a lot uh, and to tape, you know, record on tape every, everything I liked. And, and I read a lot of magazines too at that time. And I, I was reading like rock press, indie rock press. And I remember um, there was um, a special issue of a a well-known magazine in France about the best 100 records of all times or something like that. And in that that issue, there was, uh, I think there was a record by Mr. Fingers and maybe Motor Bass, which were not rock records, but they were included in, in that top 100. And the reviews were really uh, intriguing, and like, like what the guy described sounded like something really weird. And so that's how I, I got into uh, electronic music, and also uh, uh, through uh, that. That was the gate to more like house and techno stuff. And also, I, I used to listen to some hip hop, and that led me to uh, um, Moax and Warp stuff um, in the mid '90s. And Motor Bass was probably the, the record that made me love uh, house music. 
before that I was like, oh, this, this sounds too cheesy or whatever, you know. And uh, I, then uh, I listened to this record and I was completely blown away. And I started to collect uh, Chicago House and stuff like that. And there was quite a lot of stuff happening in, in France as well, I guess. Yeah, towards that the... was crazy. It was so much excitement. I, I remember like every time you had a new track coming out, there was so, that buzz, which was not online, obviously, but sort of people actually talking about, do you know there's this thing called Stardust? Uh, have you heard it? Uh, I've heard this guy charted it and this guy. And yeah, it was very, uh, very exciting. So this would be, you know, the late, mid to late 90s yeah. and were you going out into into clubs hearing this music in in Paris at the time a little bit that's when I started uh, I remember going to the Rex to hear um, DJ Sneak and Daft Punk and uh, that's also when the Pulp started that that was a kind of lesbian club in Paris that's quite mythical because there was amazing parties there uh, and really underground yeah, and that's when I started DJing because I released my first record uh, at the end of nine uh, in '99. Also, I was I was uh, listening to uh, some drum and bass. I listened to everything at that time, so I also DJed sometimes on drum and bass. I remember I tried to do some parties at my school. Some drum, drum and bass parties. Not, but there was like those big parties, and they had one room where you could propose to do something, and and with some friends say, "Oh yeah, we're gonna play records," and nobody cared about it. it was what total kind of catastrophe? What, it was a catastrophe. <laughs> what what were you playing? Can you remember? Well, like from drum and bass to uh, Daft Punk, you know, just all the electronic music from that time. And and where did go? Where did things go from there? When I released uh, "Coming to My Kitchen," that that was kind of a turning point because um, it was my first really dance floor hit. Hit, I mean, underground hit, but it drew a lot of attention and it got me more gigs. So I had to become more of a DJ, and and also then people started to ask me for remixes, and one remixing remix leading to another. Um, yeah, and how did you first meet up with Joubert and at Versatile? Because you had quite a, a strong relationship with them. Yeah, I just I, I was doing all those demos in my bedroom, and I started to send uh, cassette tapes to maybe two or three labels: Versatile, I think Fcom, and maybe Warp, which was crazy but <laughs> that's that was my free uh, top free kind of <laughs> and he uh, he he was the one who replied i mean fcom sent me a, a postcard I, I i i saw it the other day because i'm moving and i i, I found it and it was really, it was funny because it was oh yeah Thank you for your demo. Uh, please uh, keep us updated. Uh, like the standard, like refusal <laughs> letter. <laughs> uh, but Gilbert was like, "Oh, it's it's interesting. Um, it sounds really bad, but it's interesting. Uh, you should you should send me more stuff." Uh, a bit like Fcom actually, but more like he called me, so it was more like uh, more serious. And I I bought some uh, equipment. Uh, the thing is, I really didn't have any idea about production in the sense of mixing sound and stuff like that, because in my background, 
there's no such concept as production in classical music background i mean so i had to learn this really from scratch from really nothing and, and that's why my first demo was were so cheap and lo-fi like just one keyboard and with gilbert i i learned a little bit well, you use a sampler for beats because, uh, and then some synths are better than others. And yeah. so, at this stage, what what was your production setup like? Were you just sort of making making music in your in your bedroom? Or yeah, yeah, it was bedroom. It was just a old PC. Uh, well, the first setup was just one keyboard and a really cheap one, like very very cheap, but with a sequencer inside. Um, then. I got another keyboard that was a little better, but still, still a bit one of those '90s cheap keyboards. And I bought a sampler, and that—that's when it got a little more professional. And did Gilbert offer you know some interesting feedback? How, how did you get your productions to a level where he was like, "Yeah, let's let's put this out on Versatile." I didn't really work with him until that first record. I mean. I, I I pretty much worked on my own, but I I understood that I need to work on some stuff, and and having a sampler made a big difference. And I I started to to sample all all those jazz records, and I did a, a few tracks with only jazz samples, and I sent him a tape where there was like some hip hop, some drum and bass, some house, everything, <laughs> and those tracks with jazz samples and he told me oh that's that's really good uh if you do an album like that i will release it and i was was, of course i'm doing an album like this the next day and uh and i I actually went really fast i uh, maybe one month or two months i did an album like that and uh that was the first record but but that's what that's why i always put this record a bit aside because um it was kind of a, how you say, com- a, um, commission, like almost, you know. Uh, and then when I did Phantom a few a few years later, it was more like a personal record with my actual influences. And, and it wasn't too long after that where you started Tiger Sushi, is that right? Uh, no, no, it was um, pretty much at the same time. I mean... Uh, I think uh, we started, we created Taiga Sushi in 99, but that was just a name. And then in 2001, the website was launched. And uh, I think the first release was in 2003, because it was not uh, a label in the first place. So when you say it just started out as a name, what, what was the goal? Where did you want to take that name? Oh, we had the plan to make that website, but it took years to, well, two years to to make it. It was pretty complicated, especially at that time where things were more, (laughs) was the early times of internet in some ways. There was not even uh, ADSL when we started, you know. So uh, that took some time because it was really ambitious technically and also uh, on a, legal level i would say and that's also why it didn't really go where we wanted to go because uh we were stuck with uh, labels and uh, people not wanting to uh, have their music online basically 
because at that time labels were like, no, 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 uh, internet, uh, we don't do anything on internet, uh, no streaming, nothing, you know? So we didn't go, uh, we, we did the website, but that was not exactly what, what we wanted to do. So what, what was your vision for how you wanted the website to be and, and, and how did that compare to how it ended well, up? It, it was a ba- like some sort of Spotify, but with content, like uh, editorial content and uh, historical uh, perspective on things. So you had a database of music. You could search any artist, any record, and you had like streaming for the tracks and you had recommendations of other stuff that were kind of similar. And uh, that, that sounds pretty obvious now, but back then there was not such thing. So about uh, 10 years too, you yeah. know, ahead of your time there, I think. And, uh, and biographies and label profiles and, and everything like, because we were, we were passionate about music and we couldn't find anything in the uh, real press the, that we liked. So we said we should do something online that would be our dreams, uh, media, music, database, whatever. And, and there was also a radio and there was also um, a section where we would do um, genre uh, history of genres, like history of hip hop, history of industrial music, history of house. And who were you doing this with? I started with a friend at school, Charles. And, uh, and there was also a guy who was more like a programmer, but they both left. <laughs> when, when did they leave? Was that early on in the... Uh, well, the programmer left uh, after we started the website, sometime after that. And uh, Charles left a few years later uh, when we were doing the label. So how did it get to a stage where you, you had this idea for a, for a website to where you wanted it to be a record label? How, how did that transition or, or progression take place? The first record we did, well, the idea was to uh, have uh, something in the shops that people would would see uh, the name tigersushi.com and they would go on the website. So it was like, oh, let's do a record as an advertisement. And then we said, oh, maybe we should do a series because uh, the first record, you know, it was, it was a 12 inch and one side was a reissue. And the other side was a new producer that we kind of linked to the ratio. So it was like uh, linking past and present. And uh, the first one was Cluster and John Tejada. And and then we, we, we did a few uh, 12 inches like that. At each time a different genre and, uh, and different artists. And then it led to doing a compilation of all those swells and, and, and it got a lot of, uh, of press and impact. And uh, so we got demos because people say, oh, I, I like this compilation. Uh, starting with the compilation really is strong to make an image quickly, you know, because you say, this is what we like. And, and so people understand what you're going to do. Uh, and so we got some good demos and then we signed some artists and uh, and also the website was kind of stuck and and uh, we were not making any money so we we continued with the label and how how did you decide if something was right for tiger sushi well i was really um intuition and 
There was not no real rule. That's why we signed so diverse artists, and maybe that was a problem, and that's still a problem because it's 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 complicated when you have such a diverse roster. Now it's a bit more uh, restricted, but uh, yeah, we we had rock bands, electronic artists, uh, electronica, uh, uh, folk, uh, and then reissues, and then techno compilations. <laughs> and you know, how would you say Tiger Sushi has changed down the years? I don't know. I'm not. I don't know if it's really changed. Mm. No, I think it's pretty much uh, the same idea, except that we st- we don't do any more uh, those compilations or uh, reissues because um, uh, there's two reasons. One is that it's really hard to license things now because major labels they don't give a, a fuck, and uh, because everything is basically on the internet. I was really interested to see you know, the reissues you guys were doing in the early 2000s, I guess you could say now in, in 2013, it's a it's a pretty rampant reissue culture with people going through, you know, classic or overlooked material and, and putting it out again. What made you decide to, to do that initially with Tiger Sushi to, to, to match up um, a track from, say, Cluster and, and put it with something more contemporary? Because uh, I think... We we thought that music was uh, closed, like there was too many separations and between genres and people and 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 a lack of knowledge, basically, maybe a bit uh, uh, arrogantly. Uh, we were like, we should teach people, you know, <laughs> in a way. But like saying, oh, all those people they love uh, Bjork, but then they don't know that fx twin exists or so it's the idea that in mainstream music you have parts of underground music and 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 in nowadays music you have references to all music and hip-hop samples jazz and uh disco uh, house is disco with machines and stuff like that so it was like a statement like okay this track from cluster most people don't know it but if you really listen to it it's like it's like ambient but 30 years ago and uh, people should know about it you know <laughs> and and then uh, we we chose artists that were were like-minded or even in a remote way but for instance John Tejada or Tejada there was this track he released uh, that I really loved called Significant Numbers and it, it had that a thing really close to that cluster track and I thought it was interesting to link them. You know, what was the reaction like when you started doing this stuff? Were people getting in touch saying they, they liked what you were doing? Yeah, yeah, especially because there was not so many uh, reissues at, at this time. It was kind of at the same time when uh, there was soldiers and, uh, and that was the same time as Strut also. We all started at the same kind of same time, but uh, the difference is uh, we were also putting out new music. That was the difference, and the the, the compilations were not themed. It was, it was a bit more uh, messy. And you mentioned Optimo before as a DJing inspiration. Yeah, uh, 
Tiger Sushi also built a relationship with the Optimo Singles Club. Is that right? Yeah, because uh, we uh, we managed the labels for some time. <laughs> I can't say it was really like we did a lot, but uh, still. But it was after because we were when we started the label, so we were doing all those parties at the Pulp, and the Pulp was run by uh, some a lesbian crew doing things with Ivan Smag and they were called Kill the DJ and they were doing those parties and then they say oh uh, we would like to maybe start uh, releasing stuff but we don't know how so maybe you could take care of a Kill the DJ label so that was that became a part of Tiger Sushi and Kill the DJ were bringing Optimo over so they wanted to do this Kill the DJ compilation with Optimo and that we did it uh, that was a crazy, crazy work, but and then Optimo said, "Oh, do you want to take care also of our label?" label? And yeah, that's how it happened. And you mentioned the Tiger Sushi parties at Pulp. Uh, when did they start happening? Mm, early two thousands. Yeah, but it was not a residency. It was more like uh, like when we had releases. We had like Daniel Wong, uh, Tejada, Fulton, and like. Yeah, people like link to the releases. And you mentioned the Kill the DJ nights and obviously Optimo yeah. coming over. It must have been a great breeding ground for ideas. Yeah, of course. And it was exactly our the, the same like spirit. I mean, if you if, if you went to an Optimo party, you would hear uh, 90s techno and new stuff and uh, Northern Soul in the same night. So that was perfect for us. Yeah. And what were the crowds like in terms of how did they how did they receive the Tiger Sushi parties that you you were involved with? Was it an open minded crowd? Yeah, but that was that's why we did the parties at the Pulp because that was really the place that broke all the laws uh, in the clubs in Paris. Because before that, you really had that like this is a techno club, this is a house club, and then the Pulp arrived and 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 killed the DJ parties, and they said now it's open and the crowd was also like that it was lesbians gays but uh straight and like poor uh student kids and posh people and hipsters but really mixed like really uh, and so that's how it why it worked i think i wanted to ask you about your uh your studio in paris you, you it's relatively new, I think, and um, you build it yourself from scratch. Well, there's been a, a few different studios, yeah. Okay, yeah. and there's there's one that you've been in for a couple of years now. Is that uh, right? Yeah, three years. Um, is that you know? Is are, are you happy with how that is now? Has it taken a while to get to a stage where you're you're really happy with your studio? I, I've read that you've been slowly accumulating lots of analog equipment over the years. Yeah, over lots of years. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it takes some time before you really uh, get used to a studio because there's many parameters and uh, acoustics, of course, and uh, setup and and new machines. Everything needs some time. But I, now I'm pretty uh, confident and uh, used to the studio. Now I, like, I, I can mix things pretty quickly, which was not the case in the beginning. I was interested to read that in an interview that you said that once you know how to do something, you don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Is that still the well, case? Well, that's how I work, yeah. It's a bit of a problem because I've always been uh, fascinated by artists who really uh, 
you know, dig a hole and they keep digging for their whole life. And and a lot of artists that I really like are like that. But I just can't do it. Yeah, I get bored too easily. Maybe because I was too much of a spoiled kid. I don't know. <laughs> so how do you think that's impacted on you as a, as a musician? It made all my records sound a bit different first. Even though... I'm I'm hoping there's some kind of consistency, like when you look at it from a few years past. Uh, but um, yeah, like most people say, would say it's I'm hard to pin down. So somebody wrote a nice review, like a uh, nice biography. Once I was playing in a club in France and he said, uh, if you ask people who Joachim is, you would get 10 different answers. And so, yeah, that's probably the result of my <laughs> not sticking to anything special. Is that, are you happy to be perceived that way? Yes and no. I mean, um, I think it's a good way to stay free. And being free is probably the most important thing uh, for me. And, he, and it allows you to sur surprise people and... And to also build sometimes a stronger relationship with the, the audience because the audience you have really had to to dig what you do and, and to understand. And uh, so maybe it's a bit stronger, um, but then it's also a lot slower. And you, you mentioned that you, you, you know, you've been described as someone who's hard to pin down and it's not really a surprise really with you know, your DJing your solo production, uh, running a label, and then of course you've you, you know you've produced bands before. Um, I wanted to talk about that specifically um, in terms of producing bands. Is is that something that you want to keep doing? Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing this a lot this year, actually. Um, for the first time, I've been doing mostly this. That's why I didn't release a lot of stuff in 2012. That was also the idea that. If I want to uh, not be so much uh, uh, dependent on gigs, I I can I, I have to work in the studio, and I, I, I you know I I love DJing, but I don't want to spend my life on on the road forever. So and since I have this studio and people started to talk about it, and, and there was this video of, of Future Music came to the studio. And I didn't know, but apparent, apparently, like it made some, uh, like people checked it, and uh, like and those people talk about it, and then I got people coming to me like, oh yeah, I heard we have this studio, can we come record? And so who got in touch? Um, first, it was very close people because it was Zombie Zombie. Then I had this French band that uh, was recommended by a manager I know. And uh, then this Belgian band called Montevideo, uh, also through, through their manager, who who I, I know him for a long time. Then uh, I just did a band from Manchester, who I think just liked uh, some of my remixes and, and saw the video, and they wanted a lot of synths. So it's funny because they arrived, they already knew everything in the studio because they saw the video and it was like, oh, where is the, I, I don't see this scent, where is it? In <laughs> and what is it about producing 
a band um, or, you know, another outfit that you enjoy over, say, just making your own music? Well, it's less, uh, it's uh, much less stress, I would say. Um, I don't have to think about, I mean, I have to think, is it good or is it bad? But um, <laughs> I, there's a lot of, I mean, I can't, I can't change the music that the people will would do. So I just have to make my best to make it uh, as good as possible. So you have less responsibility in a way. Uh, so it's like uh, a good break from producing music, even though it's taking a lot of time and frustrating because I, I would like to make more music on my own or so. You mentioned that you produced the most recent Zombie Zombie album. Yeah. How was that? Uh, well, it was, uh, it was a bit of a challenge because we wanted to um, kind of renew the formula a little bit. Because it's a very, I mean, it's a very simple band. It's just synths and, and drums and and it can easily be the same record over and over again. Um, so that's why we, we brought all those percussions and stuff to, to change a little bit the color of, the, of their music. Uh, and it, it, it was really nice and, and easy because I know them really well and we we have the same, you know, references and stuff. So it was easy. And I also did that uh, Acid Washed album that's going to be released soon. But that was more like just mixing because it's an electronic music. So, And you mentioned that this was all keeping you pretty busy in, in 2012 and you haven't had, uh, there hasn't been a Joachim album no. since 2011. Is that something that you're going to try and rectify this year? Hopefully. Um, but he, he, I'm moving, so that's gonna delay things a little bit. Uh, okay, uh, whereabouts are you moving to? Um, to New York, so it's a big move. Um, and I'm looking for a studio right now to there. Uh, okay, so w w what's broad about that, that move? Well, it's a bit of there's different reasons uh, personal, uh, opportunity. Um, something I always wanted to do but I thought it would not be possible and then a few things made it possible uh, like my visa <laughs> but uh, and I thought if I don't do it now I will never do it so and would this be the first time you've you've lived outside of yeah. Paris yeah I've, I've, I've lived there for six months uh, in New York in New York yeah. like two years to one year ago uh, but yeah that's going to be the first time I'm really excited <laughs> so can we expect uh, the next Rakim album to be recorded in, in New York then well that's pretty likely I have a bunch of drafts and stuff on my computer but uh, I'm not sure I will have time to finish anything before I move uh, also because I want to finish uh, things for uh, Crowdspacer and so yeah probably you said you spent a little bit of time in New York a, a couple of years ago. What, what was it about the city that a, appealed to you enough to, to want to come back? I don't know. The I just feel I feel good there. There's a, it's a good change from Paris, I would say. It's a good alternative because it's so different. The energy is so different. Sometimes Paris can drag you a little bit. It's It's exhausting to be in New York, I would say, but it's good exhaustion. It's like a vampire's... 
sucking your blood, but then you you turn into a vampire and you have superpower. <laughs> but uh, I I don't know. I like I like lots of stuff: the city, the architecture, the the vibe, the fact that there's so many uh, different cultures in the same place. It's it's a very mixed city, and I love that uh, food. You've mentioned food a couple of times, and um, of course, yeah. I, I've, I've read an interesting article once where you basically gave a, a bit of a guide to Paris and you mentioned um, restaurants and, yeah, yeah, and your yeah. favorite food spot. Is, is food a big passion for you outside of music? Uh, yeah, it's the main one. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can't, uh, I can't live without good food. I, I'd rather not eat than eat bad food, you know, and I cook every day. And <laughs> can you divulge maybe say your, your number one recipe if you're going to cook a meal? My number one recipe? <sighs> I don't really have a number one like hit because I, I most of the time I never do the same thing. <laughs> uh, no, I, maybe a pot au feu. I, I'm pretty good at pot au feu. And what, what's that? You have to describe that to me. A uh, pot au feu is a very traditional French dish with that it takes some time to make it because uh, you have to start in the morning and to make it ready for the night. And it's with uh, lots, it's a, a winter dish it, with a, a broth. And, and things cooking in the broth for hours and uh, and something that's really good the next day also. And you can keep it for like a few days and make something else from it. And it's, it's really amazing. And do you find that's like a nice way to get your mind off music and other, other things? Oh, yeah. That's like the best thing to uh, think of nothing. And since my brain is a bit uh, overactive, I need that kind of stuff. <laughs> Now, I wanted to ask you about um, your music in a live context. Um, you've, you've performed live on stage with a band uh, regularly over the last decade or so. Is that something that you want to keep doing? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very different from DJing, so it's really complementary. It's, it's a different work. It's a different feeling. Um, yeah, and I like it, and 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 there's a lot of stuff that I I want to do live that I haven't done yet. So, for sure, yeah. L like what? Uh, things I can't really tell here, but uh, like different setups. Uh, I had this idea about uh, some kind of performance with lights and music, but I can't really tell about. And yeah. How much has you know the live setup changed for you down the years? It's had a few different in incarnations, hasn't it? Um, not really. I think it it's evolved a little bit, but it basically didn't change. It was from the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, there was a guitar player that's not here anymore, but it was guitar, a bass player who's also playing bass synth, and a drummer. And I have just a few machines and synths and I control the the rest of the band. I, I mean, I send uh, like clocks and stuff. It's always like that. And I guess that live element and also, you know, your albums today um, have had a real song-based quality to them. Is there something about the, the idea of a, a nice pop song that, that appeals to you? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I, I love uh, good good songs. Uh, I love uh, songs that appeal to 
everybody, you know, that has this power of just instant uh, emotion. That's the ultimate goal, I think, for a song. So that's my obsession. But it's not easy. <laughs> I still have some uh, some road to. Uh, and do you think you know the next album that that's that's what you reserve the album format for is to is to write songs and then you've got you've got uh, the twelve inch singles and and crowd yeah spaces. that's that's how I'm trying to picture things right now. Um, do you see yourself in some aspects as a as a pop musician as a pop producer? that's hard to say I don't know no. I, it's not for me to tell you know I'm just trying to to do things and then people call me what they want <laughs> last year you did an interesting collaboration uh, with Bambunu on Sound Pellegrino yeah uh, can you tell me the story about that, how that, that came to be uh, it's um, Tequila Tex who who contacted me about it I mean we we played uh a couple of shows together like I remember in Ukraine we were playing live and they were DJing after and and so I know Tequila Tex for a long time but but we were never like really talking about music or stuff and and then we realized playing together that we had some common grounds and and uh, and I think the idea of this uh, series of collaboration that they started uh, Pellegrino, was to uh, bring people from different uh you know, genres or backgrounds, but with some common grounds. And uh, and I remember I told him once that I really liked that uh, Bambunu track they put out on 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 the Cyan compilation they did. And uh, so uh, he, once he emailed me, he's like, "Hey, do you want to do a track with Bambunu? We we're starting this collaboration EP series. I'll I'll buy you a dinner, a good dinner." And that's of course how he got me, and <laughs> and uh, and that uh, was really cool. I mean, working with him was uh, super, super nice and fresh and interesting. He's a re I think he's he's gonna be a really interesting producer over the years, uh, Bambunu. And I read that um, Bambunu had not actually made music outside of a laptop until he met you and started working with yeah you, abs absolutely and not even with a single like not even a sound count you know and and that was interesting because i, I when i met him i like yeah you know i really like the way you you make those so those beats on your productions and because that's not the way i would do it and, and i like it and uh and he showed me how he did on his computer just with bits of audio not even a, a sampler in the computer because he he didn't know like he could use a sample <laughs> so he was like uh pasting bits of sounds and was like wow this is crazy and it sounded amazing uh, yeah and so he got he was really excited when we started to play with the drum machines and like i said okay you 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 you'd make some some beats on your computer some drafts and then we replay the same thing but with the real machines and see how it's how it works and are you happy with the, how that that EP came out? Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 pretty happy. Uh, actually, we were talking about doing something else uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, yeah. And how how do you assess the current 
electronic music landscape in France? Is is it as healthy as it was when you were doing those, you know, Tiger Sushi parties at Pulp, or is it is it not the same? Mm, healthy, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really say. <laughs> but it's it's good. Um, well, the other day when I I met Bambunu, I was at the social club, and uh, Crack Boy was doing a party, and uh, and it was great. The music was great, uh, and the, all the kids were dancing. Everybody, like it's yeah, it's really cool. Oh baby. Mm-hmm.